I'm Robin Amler of IBS Intelligence. You're listening to the IBS iViews podcast. With me is Andrew Ducanaris, Business Director, Fintech Europe for Intellias. We are talking, first of all, about how to stop falling investment in fintech. But I would have thought, given how the general economy is heading, not just in the UK, not just in Europe, but around the world, a fall off in investments is kind of inevitable. I think you're right. But I also feel that depending on which report you read, one says that, for example, London is bucking the trend of investment and that fintech investment is growing. And then the next day I read on LinkedIn that actually it isn't and that somebody else is now investing more in, in fintech. But but I think it's right. We are seeing that that downward trend and, and where we're based in Canary Wharf at level 39, we're seeing a number of organisations that I've sort of worked with previously disappearing as well because funds are drying up. So I, I, I believe that that is the case. And actually, people are perhaps being a little bit more cautious, looking at where, where their investments are and perhaps what the returns will be. And perhaps also there's a little bit of let's stop the me too and fear of missing out investment, which I believe has probably been happening uh, the last few years. So perhaps it's a it's a way for people to put the brakes on but not stop completely, but maybe to take a breather and and see where we are in a few months' time as well. Well, according to the old phrase, capitalism is creative destruction. I suppose there's a part of that to it. But this is also, as I said, cyclical. It is inevitable that there would be a clear out. There's a word that I think you've used, which I'd like to parse a little bit, if we may, and that is decongesting the fintech industry. Yeah, I, again, based where we are, we see a lot of new organisations and and perhaps some of the ideas and the enthusiasm is great. But but I think sometimes within fintech, there, there can be a little bit of, um, what's the word I would use? Uh, blindsided perhaps by we're creating something new, whereas perhaps the people in the next office are also creating something new, which is exactly the same. And, and whilst it's great to have that innovation, I do believe we've seen a lot of duplication in the industry as well in the last few years. Uh, and perhaps because barriers to entry have fallen the last few years, it, you know, through PDST2, we've seen organisations enter the sector, but perhaps not with a clear strategy of what they're trying to produce and make, and also perhaps not aware of the competition that's there. Uh, so I, I think we'll see some of the fallout because of duplication as well. And on top of that, the the fact that we're seeing some uh, investments being curtailed a little bit. Well, there's two parallels or, or two paradigms I'll offer you. One is the gold rush. The classic story about the gold rush is that the guys who make the secure money are the ones who sell the picks and shovels, not the ones mm -hmm. who actually dig for the gold. Yeah. And the other paradigm I, I'll give you, the other parallel I'll give you is for those of us who are slightly older and greyer, the dot-com bubble, where there was this rush of innovation, this we're doing something new, we're doing something great, we're going to stake out the world, we're going to take over. Some people did, a lot of people didn't, and I can't help feeling that's going to happen in fintech as well. Uh, I believe you're right. And I, I kind of look at it as a, I was going to say a car enthusiast, but don't get to drive that often anymore. But I look at what happened in Formula One, maybe in the last 20 years or so with cars that are now more 
electronically driven, computer generated, all of the additional accessories we have in a car probably started off in Formula One engineering, but have ended up in an everyday vehicle, whether it's paddles on the car or automatic parking, all, all of that has been created from that. So I think we still need that rush of innovation and hopefully something new will come out. But but I believe you're right. I think there is that that rush to be the first to complete something rather than finding a solution that somebody wants as opposed to that old adage of it's a solution looking for a problem. Yes, if you build it, they won't necessarily come, I suppose Correct. is the, the, the warning order there. Yeah. But you're still you sound as though you're still optimistic that fintech as a as a sector is something which still excites you still attracts you and you've still got to be in the game to play the game yeah i just think the rules of engagement have changed i I believe that what a lot of fintechs do and it and it's that enthusiasm to to be first or to or to you know outsmart the competition a lot of shortcuts are made, I find. And and I was at an event a few weeks ago talking about regulation. Uh, and, and often what happens in this sector is people think, well, we're a fintech. We don't need to worry about being regulated. We don't need to worry about <laughs> compliance. And then the next day, you know, we've all seen it, whether it's FTX or somebody else. And then somebody writes, my gosh, I didn't realize they weren't regulated. So I think that that is important. I come from an industry and an organization that described itself as the world's first fintech that's 50 years old. It's a payments organization. But regulation was at the heart of, of those sectors. And I think and I certainly believe that where a lot of mistakes are made are putting the basics in first are just so important in this in this area where Trust is incredibly important. Regulation is important without curtailing innovation. And, and I think sometimes regulation could be seen as a, a stick rather than the carrot. Because for me, if you have the carrot, it's easy to walk into a room and say, I'm looking for investment. Yes, there are other people doing this, but actually I'm regulated. I've been through the regulation process and I've come out the other end battered and bruised, but I have something that's approved. That is an interesting point you raise there, because it, it brings me on to the, the next topic. Uh, and I wanted to, to get your feel on this. What's coming next? What's going to change the way that we do things? Is the focus going to be B2B, B2C? Is it still all going to be payments, payments, payments? And how is it going to change the way people transact? At FinTech Connect, I was on a panel talking about B2B payments. But I think the lines have been blurred a little bit. I I don't just see it as B2B anymore. I I think this whole thing of, I guess we all do, we go to a store, we look at the prices in that store, we get all of the information from the sales assistant. And then before we leave that store, we've ordered it from Amazon. So am am I I buying online? Am I buying in store? What, What am I doing? And then if I'm a small business, am I a business to business purchaser or am I a B2C client and and i look at on the traditional b2c uh, that the innovation has certainly come through over the last few years whether it's qr codes whether it's um open banking whether it's contactless that was originally 10 pounds now 100 pounds we've seen that acceptance of that innovation grow but i don't think it's happened in the b2b space because i don't think there's the desire just yet by a lot of the the 
or certainly banking fraternity are perhaps concerned that invoicing and, and other such tools are to their advantage because it can delay payment and therefore increase their cash flow. So I don't think we've seen the desire, certainly not from the institutions and B2B, but more so on the traditional B2C. I've certainly seen that change. There is also a philosophical issue here in the way it's going to change the fabric of society. Uh, By that, I'm talking about economic society. It's going to change, is changing the way people shop. But that is going to mean changes to the way towns are shaped, the way footfall occurs in towns, in shopping areas, because we're not going there anymore. We're going online. Yeah, well, I I live very near one of the Westfield centres that was opened in London a few years ago. It's a destination point often for when it's raining and it's miserable. So I'm not just shopping there. I'm also buying a coffee. I'm also looking at stuff that I might want to buy later when I'm having my coffee online. But so I think that the, the high street has changed considerably in terms of the offering that's made there, but also the way we pay. And I look at how the pandemic changed that. I, I spent you know the last 30 years telling people not to use cash. And I think I did a pretty good job at, at doing that. But it took it took some an awful, you know, took an awful disease to to get people to say, actually, I don't need to have a a minimum spend anymore. I'm I feel safer if somebody pays by card or uh, Apple Pay or Google Pay or whatever it might be, because I don't have to touch cash. And the smart retailers picked that up very quickly because operationally it made them more efficient. And I think for consumers as well, it was that acceptance that I don't need to go and get cash. I don't need to then take the change in cash. So it's changed the way I operate. But but then also the offering by the uh, retailers has changed. So if we sat in a coffee shop a year and a half ago, we could click on a QR code and order our food and have it delivered to the table without actually interacting with anybody uh, until the food was delivered. So the offering has changed, but the payment was at the was for me was for at the forefront how does that tie in with what you're seeing as well in in terms of you know you talked about b2b and investments i'm still seeing people investing but the amounts they're investing are significantly down and almost in some cases you think by a factor of 10 so deals that um, 12 months ago were 100 million are now 10 million deals that were 10 million are now 1 million and so on that, that sounds about right. I mean, like I worked with a, a few organisations as a, a mentor at Level 39 in Canary Wharf. And two of those organisations, or two of the five or six that I've been working with, went under in October. Mm. Uh, and they'd been around for three, four years and just the investment dried up. And it's very difficult for them to go and get additional funds. It's a real, it's a real shame. Let me be brutal. If there is, if there was something of any value in what they were doing, somebody yeah. would pick up the bones of it. This is where the Barclays and the Lloyds will walk around with their handbags saying, uh, that looks nice, we'll have that one. Yeah, yeah. well, you know, my former employee visa is doing that quite a lot. He's walking around as our MasterCard and Discover, looking at those opportunities to say, we can't do this or we don't have the, we don't have the backup to do that, so let's go buy something instead. Yeah. Andrew Ducanaris, Business Director, Fintech Europe for Intellias. Thank you very much.